you have a Bible with you or a device, I'm going to invite you to turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'd remind you, or if you're new to us, I'm informing you that during this month, we have been going through a series of messages on the topic of giving. Last Sunday, we did something a little unusual. We actually, we had an offering before the message, and then after the message, we had a reverse offering of which there was uh, money in envelopes that were put in the offering plate, and it was repassed, and people were encouraged to take an envelope with money in it. And uh, when I announced that, I said, now there's going to be $5 bills, $10 bills, $20, $50, and $100 bill. But uh, at the end of the service, as we were driving from here to our small group, the boy said, I got a $1 bill. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was embarrassed to find that out, and I'm sorry for that. That was not, not what that was designed to to be. Um, I'm the pastor, so I'm, I'm, I apologize for that. I hope it didn't take away from the exercise, nonetheless, of praying the responsibility for God's property, God's money, and hopefully you were able to apply that to something. I did get a few emails that Ginger forwarded to me. Um, I have one here from a family that says we pooled our money together, and there was a, a neighbor that had a, a snowblower that wasn't working, so we took that money to help them to be able to repair that snowblower. And we need snowblowers at work, don't we? And so that's a blessing. Another one said, uh, I have a a brother in Christ that I knew was in trouble or at least financial uh, constraints. And so I applied that money, put a card together, and and mailed it to that person. Uh, Another one said, I used it for a tip at a meal. And then another family said, we, we took that money, added to it, bought some gospel tracts, and we have been distributing those gospel tracts. So I am grateful to hear those stories, and I'm hoping that they'll keep coming of how God is using His money in your possession. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, whereas two weeks ago, we spoke about the heart, and that if you want to trace your heart, you can find out how you are spending money. Last week, we learned that everything belongs to God, and today we're going to be focusing on this concept of eternity. While verses 19 through 24 is going to be the centerpiece of our message, the Bible tells us that we are to be reading the Scriptures publicly. So I want to read verses 1 through 24, just the benefit of hearing God's Word read out loud. So follow along with me in Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached right in the middle, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither what your Father forgives your trespass. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I just want to pray for a moment. Our Lord, as we take in this word, what a blessing it is to hear your word read Oh, how we need your insight, your direction. Thank you for preserving the written word for us, that we don't have to wonder what life should be all about, the direction we should pursue. We can find here in the pages of Scripture of our sin, of your holiness, how you sent Christ to die in our place, how we can enter into a relationship by grace, and how we are to live by this grace that you provide. And Father, it's been wonderful for us just to reflect on all the blessings of our life, including the possessions that you have bestowed upon us. Now today, I pray that you would challenge us not to think only in terms of this life, but of the life that follows. I feel heavy this morning as I speak to a group of people in this room and maybe, maybe online that one thing I know for certain about that they will spend an eternity in one place or another. And I feel the responsibility to be able to teach this word and just challenge them to live for eternity. God, I pray that your spirit would fill me to be able to do just that. And I'm going to trust that your spirit then will just put the word on the hearts that need to hear this. And it will adjust their lives to it. In Jesus' name, amen. There were two farmers that lived near one another. There was one of these farmers was a devout Christian. He followed Jesus. 
His neighbor was a devout atheist, hated God. And one day, these two men got together in the winter, and the atheist said to his neighbor, I tell you what, next year, let's plant crops at the same time, and every day you pray to your God, and every day I will curse your God, and in the fall, we'll see who has the better crop. They agreed to this. In the spring, they planted their fields. And in the fall, in October, they harvest those crops. And guess who had the better crops? The atheist. And he said to his Christian neighbor, So what do you think about your God right now? And the devout Christian says, Well, what I think about my God is he does not settle accounts in October. Today we're going to be speaking about when God does settle accounts. He'll settle accounts in eternity. So as we begin this look into Matthew chapter 6, there's just a few basics that I want you to be reminded of from what the Bible says. One is that we will live for eternity. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, said in chapter 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has put eternity into man's hearts. One thing I can say about everyone that is listening to the sound of my voice right now is that you will live forever in eternity. The second basic truth I want to present to you today is that our lives are fleeting. They are racing by. Now, when I was young as a little boy, even a teenager, I didn't think so. I thought they were crawling by. But now that I'm an older man, I see how fast life is. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, the scripture says, all flesh is like grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the the flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. So we see flowers that fade, we see grass that fades, and we are reminded that one day we will fade. In James 4, Verse 14, James says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. About a year ago, our family did something we'd never done before. We went down to Florida in February on a little vacation. And I remember waking up in the morning and there was a mist. There was a fog that was over the air. In fact, we could barely see across the road. But when the sun would come up, it would burn that mist away and we could see clearly again. And that is the metaphor that James gives us to speak about life and how fast it is. Not only is our lives fleeting, but the Word of God also says that this world is fleeting. In 1 John 2, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. And our world is very foolish. If we were to take a a couple of tables and go down to Lombardi and Oneida, 
and, and set up one table with a big sign that says, free the word of God. And right next to that table, we set up another sign that says, free $100 bills. One of those tables would not exactly stop traffic, but another one of those tables would. And yet the Bible tells us that it is the Word of God that is eternal, and that this money and the possessions that we have in this world are so fleeting and fading. To give you a little metaphor, an example of this, within your outline, you see a dot that has a line and an arrow. That little dot represents your life. And that line and that arrow that moves on for infinity represents your eternity. I was thinking of having a little uh, illustration of that, having the kids come up here and have one of them over here with a dot and then a roll of paper that we would unroll to the other end of this platform with the end of that arrow pointing and say, this is what it kind of looks like. That dot is, is just how long you'll be on this earth, but this arrow represents eternity. But I couldn't find a big roll of paper, and I'm not sure that that would satisfy the illustration anyway, because it would be probably more accurate if we could extend it all the way to New York City. So today, the question for us is if we are going to live for eternity, and if our lives are fleeting... How will we manage God's possessions? Now, in chapter 6, verse 19, there are two different answers there in 19 and 20. There are two different ways that we can manage God's possessions. Number one, we can live for today with no thought of eternity. That is to live for the dot without any thought of the line. Live for the dot and ignore eternity. Look what it says in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. The Greek here, do not lay up for yourselves, means to stack upon one another. The idea here is to hoard accumulate, stockpile, keep for keepsake. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving and having a savings account. In fact, the Bible tells us that is wise. Proverbs 21, verse 20, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. We see the illustration of Joseph in the book of Genesis and how he anticipated Famine, so there were seven years of plentiful, followed by seven years of famine, and and fortunately he had saved. And that's not what this is speaking about, however. In verse 19, this laying up for yourselves is similar to the old Christmas carol in Ebenezer Scrooge. You remember him? And how he would be stacking his gold coins one upon another and just accumulating all this wealth for himself while right outside the shop door in the cold winter December were poor people that didn't even have enough food for warmth or or, or to survive. 
And there he was, just hoarding all of these resources. That's what's being said here. The problem with storing up treasures on earth is that they will not last. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they're temporal. Look what it says again in verse 19. Where moth and rust destroy. This word moth here is referring to back in the first century, one of the items of wealth was some very delicate woven material of purple and color. And it could be that a larva would attach itself to that and bore its way into that fabric and create holes. And even the metals, the precious metals of that time could rust. And then it also says... Thieves can break in and steal. Several years ago, we were here in in Green Bay, and I purchased a new steel chainsaw, a new bike for one of my boys, and we had it there in our garage. And right in the middle of the day, someone pulled up and stole that chainsaw and and that bike. When we have possessions, despite our security cameras and, and, and deadbolts and lights, People can still come in and take that stuff. We can invest in this world's wealth, but it will deteriorate, fade, and cannot be taken to the next world. You've probably heard of J.D. Rockefeller, a very wealthy man that one day died, and they asked his accountant, how much did J.D. leave? And you know the accountant's reply, all of it. Egyptians, years ago, ancient times, they thought that they could accumulate wealth and that when they die, they would take that treasure with them into eternity. So you remember King Tut, who was surrounded when he died by literally tons of gold. But they discovered that treasure in 1922, and guess what? King Tut was gone but the treasure was still here. So there's one option for you, and that's to live for today with no thought of eternity. To live for the dot. But there is a second option that we see in verse 20. And that is to live for eternity today. Verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Don't just live for the dot, but live in light of the line that will extend for eternity. So as we think about this and we consider the passage that we just read, that's that's going to require some restraining in our lives. Do you remember what we just covered in the first four verses of Matthew 6? about giving to the poor. One of the ways that we can prepare ourselves for eternity is not to spend all of our money on ourselves, but to take the possessions that God has given and share them with others. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So one of the ways that we can send treasures ahead 
is to be able to take his resources and give to the poor. Another way that we can restrain ourselves in verses 5 through 15 is not by being so controlling of our lives, because that passage is speaking about prayer. If you are a follower of God, then you have given your life over to prayer and dependence on God. So you're not restraining, you're restraining the control of your life and you're giving it over to Him. Not only possessions, but also control. And then in verses 16 through 18, listen to this. We're supposed to be restraining our food intake. Something called fasting. If we're going to be a real follower of Christ. There are times in our life where we go without food to prioritize our relationship with Him. And then that leads us to 19 through 24 that speaks about, once again, restraining how we use God's resources. Randy Alcorn, who who I've just leaned on a lot through this series in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, said this. Imagine that today you could have two options. On your way out today, I could give you either $1,000 or one year from today, I'd give you $10 million. you would have to be really stupid to take that $1,000, wouldn't you? And I'm just going to say it. You'd have to be really stupid to just live for today without the line of thinking about eternity. Now, when we talk about this treasure, I think as we're reading the New Testament, we're speaking about at least two different things here. We accumulate treasure through character. We kind of read that in the first part of Matthew 6, right? This is by giving our lives over to prayer. This is by fasting and prioritizing our relationship with God. And if you look through the New Testament, there are crowns that the New Testament speaks about for for some people that when they get to heaven, they will receive some crowns. Let me just give you a couple of them really quick. There's a crown of life in James 1. 22, and that's for those who are faithful to Christ in persecution. There's the incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, and that's those who are determined and are disciplined in their Christian life. There is the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, given for those who share the gospel and disciple people. There's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy verses 6 through 8, for those who are eagerly waiting for Jesus' return in joy and in purity. And there's also the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, for those in leadership that represent Christ well. So there certainly is some treasures that have to do with Christ-like character. But then there is also some treasures that are related to the way that we manage God's resources. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Matthew 19. Jesus said to him, Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and listen, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Now, there are only two things that I'm aware of that will last for eternity. One is your soul, And two is the Word of God. 
So if you want to invest wisely for eternity, I think you begin there. You want to be investing in lives. You want to be investing in people, in families. But ultimately, that they will hear the Word of God, receive the gospel, and they themselves will spend eternity with Jesus. Now, I don't mean to step on some toes today. And I like animals myself. We have a dog. We have a cat. But I'm just telling you how I would give the resources that God's given to me. It would be to focus on that. And if you want to give the, the Humane Society, you feel free to do that. But I'm just saying that's where the resources for me would go, is for people, for eternity, for the gospel. And uh, I'm not saying there's not a place to give towards a healing of a disease and things like that. I'm sure there is a place for that. But what good would it do for them to be healed of a disease only to live like the devil and go to hell when they die? Wouldn't it make more sense? And I'm just speaking for myself to find these, these investments of a soul and of the gospel and of the word of God where that's what we would contribute to. Now, each of you have to, to follow through with how you would be a good steward with God's resources. John Wesley said it this way. The real value of a thing is the price it will bring in eternity. Let me say that again. The real value of a thing is the price it will bring in eternity. Once again, Alcorn, he offered this great illustration in which he said, imagine you lived in the Civil War times and you were of the Union Army, you were of the North, and you were down in the southern part and it was very clear that in a matter of days that the North was going to be declared winner. But you lived down in the South for those remaining days. Would it make any sense at all to convert all of your wealth into Confederate money? No. Why? Because it's just a matter of days when that's going to be absolutely useless. Wouldn't you invest your money in the Northern currency? And wouldn't you only just keep what you need in the Confederate currency? Because one day, it's the northern currency that's really going to matter. I hope you see the parallel. Wouldn't it make more sense for us if we know that this world is passing away, if we know that you and I are going to pass away, wouldn't it make sense to be looking to send our money ahead to heaven? Now, in order to do that, here's a second point to that question. The question that began in our message was this. If I know this, that I am passing away, if I know that this world is passing away, yet I am created for eternity, how would God use me, lead me to use His resources? This, the second answer to that is to cultivate a heart and eye for eternity. Look what it says here, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we actually hit on this verse from the Gospel of Luke two weeks ago. I'm not sure I need to weigh in heavily on this, but I do want to support this statement again. It says this, Since our hearts follow our treasure, we can lead our heart to pursue eternal treasure. Now here's the point. If you've been listening to these messages, or if you're listening to this message this morning, 
And, and you're just being honest to say, I'm in a world of hurt. Because if I'm honest, I treasure the things of this world that are passing away so fast. And when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to life, when it comes to world missions, when it comes to helping the poor, I don't really have a heart for that. Well, here's what this verse would say. We'll begin to give towards those things, and your heart will begin to follow. Many years ago, I was a new Christian. I was uh, caring for my grandmother in Appleton, and I was attending this church there in Nina. And I didn't know this this particular Sunday, but it was Mission Sunday. And when I went to the Sunday school class, uh, there was a missionary couple, a husband and a wife, and they had they were Bible translators, I think, of a village in Asia somewhere. I'd never even heard of that. And, and this husband and wife began to show a, a slideshow of how they raised their family in this village. And I will never forget, as this, this missionary, this, this woman, says, you know, when we come back to America, it's often difficult for us because there's so much stuff. And with tears coming down her cheeks... And she said, it's all going to burn. It's all going to fade away. And you know what's not going to? And she held up a translation of the New Testament that they had translated in that village. And that left such an impression on me. And I thought, man, if I've got treasure, I, I do have a little treasure. I want to give to that. And it's, it's always stuck with me. I remember attending a church. And in that church, they were doing a little remodeling or a little renovation in that church. And up until that point, I'd just been attending Sunday mornings. But as I heard the pastor and the leaders of that church talk about how renovating that church could do a great blessing to their ministries, it was that God had put something on my heart to give towards that. And listen to what happened. That church became my church. Why? Because treasure had been transferred to that. And I was like, how's my building project going? I, I'm, I have a keen interest in that because I have literally invested into that. If you say to yourself, I feel, a little, I feel a little cold today. I don't feel like I've been applying my resources the way they should. Oh, I'm here to tell you it is not too late. George Truett was a pastor down in Texas when I went to seminary, I, I, I worshipped in the chapel. Uh, it was called the Truett Auditorium. And one day, as this Texas pastor was out at a, a very wealthy landowner's home, they had finished supper, and the landowner looked out, and he said, 25 years ago, I didn't have anything. And he pointed out to a vast field, and he said, see that field? As far as you can see, that is mine. And he looked off to his left. And he said, did you see that forest? That forest is mine. He looked off to the right, and you see, see all those cattle. All that cattle. That is mine. And he thought he was impressing his pastor when he felt the gentle touch of his pastors on his shoulder. And he said, well, I just got one question for you. How much of that up there? is yours. And he said, you know, I never thought of that. And if that's your reaction, I'm just here to tell you it's not too late. 
you can begin to be thinking of not just the dot, but living for eternity with the line. So since our hearts follow our treasure, we can lead our heart to pursue eternal treasures. And then also, since our spiritual eye determines the focus of our lives, we must look to eternity. Look what it says here in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's as if the heart and the eye are one and the same here. He's not referring to eyes, plural, one eye. It's speaking of a single focus of clarity in the context that it has to be about eternity. If your eye is thinking about eternity and using God's possessions wisely, it will go well for you. The eye and and a healthy eye here is referring to having this perspective of eternity. And as it says there in verse 20, your whole body will be full of light. That has to be referring to a life of generosity and using God's possessions as he would have you to do. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, it has to be referring to getting the balance messed up and thinking, oh, these possessions are for me. I'm only to live for the dot. I'm only to live for right now. And if you do that, this is what it says, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's the way you will live. If then the light in this darkness, how great is that darkness? And then finally, look with me at the last part. The key to living for eternity is to have a relationship with God in which you humbly serve him. Look what it says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I've got two sisters. I've got two brothers. I've got multiple cousins. But I've got one wife. And you can have multiple interests, many different things that you are passionate about. But you can only have one God. And if you want to prepare and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, well, then you need to have a relationship with God. You cannot live for eternity unless your eternity is secured. Either possessions will be your God or God will be God. Now, it could be this morning that I've said some things that might be confusing to you. You're talking about this reward in heaven. Are you telling me that I can work and if I give money to to things that God has said are important, that, that I can make my way into heaven? That is not at all what I meant to say. You see, we cannot earn heaven. Heaven is a gift. It is a gift that is being provided and offered to you today as you are aware of your sin. On, on Sunday evenings, our youth gather. We're working through the Beatitudes. And that first Beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You need to be poor in order to get to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But not poor financially, but be aware that you lack any good works, that you lack any righteousness of your own. And when you come to that place, there's hope for you because you realize that you cannot save yourself, but God has saved you through what Jesus has done on the cross. He's taken your sin upon himself. If you would receive this gift, you might have a relationship with him. And then you can serve him, according to verse 24. So let me apply this passage. And in order to do that, I'm going to use a little reverse engineering. If, if our objective is to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, that's the goal, then how do we do that? I think we just reverse these passages. The first thing is, is you set God as your highest treasure. He needs to be the most important person, the most important thing, the most important ambition in your life. And you prioritize your relationship with Him. You're in the Word. You're praying. And you're allowing Him to master or rule your life. It begins there. Secondly, you align your heart and eye toward God and His ways. As we think about this altar, to, to be able to have an altar, to be able to say, I give my eye to you. I give my heart to you. Because I live in this world and I'm often pulled to these temporary things that have no lasting value. Instead, as I am pursuing a relationship and treasuring you, have my heart, have my eye, because I want to pursue what you want me to pursue. And then that leads to manage God's possessions in light of eternity. So are you going to live just for the dot? I'm just appealing to you to live for the line, to take your remaining days that you have and invest in eternal treasures. Many years ago, Alfred Noble, a Swedish chemist, who made a fortune by inventing dynamite and other powerful explosives, had a brother that passed away. That brother's name was Ludwig. And a French newspaper accidentally posted an obituary not for Ludwig, but for Alfred Nobel. And, and what he said was, this was a man who became rich for enabling people to kill each other in unprecedented quantities. Shaken by this assessment, Noble resolved to use his fortune to reward accomplishments that benefited humanity, including what we now know as the Nobel Peace Prize. He invested $9 million in this attempt to edit his obituary. I want you to think for a moment, what about your obituary? What about when your dot has expired? It's not too late. It's not too late to use what God has given to you with eternity in mind. 
I don't exactly know what that looks like for you. But I'll pray for you in that. And I'm praying for myself in that as well. Father, as we uh, hear your word today, I thank you for um, just the reminder that we're here for a short period of time. But from that moment, we will live for eternity somewhere. And I pray as this word goes out that there would be a soberness among us to think about, one, where will I spend eternity? And friend, if you don't know that today, I'm glad you're here. I'm just here to tell you that you can know. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your rebellion. Say, I don't, I don't want to follow that way anymore. I, I have other things mastering me. But I, wanna, I want you, God, to be my master. And I'm repenting. I'm turning. And I want to place my trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for me. I want to be renewed. I want a new start. I want to follow him the rest of my days. You can do that right where you're at. Those of you who have done that already, I'm challenging you like I've been challenged myself these weeks. Am I being a good steward of God's resources? And I want to be a good steward of them. Help me to lay up for myself treasures not on this earth, but treasures there in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.